You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business unusual. Hey guys, um, thanks for joining us today on this podcast. I just wanted to go through and just explain our goal of the Business Unusual podcast and, and really what we're trying to achieve at Topco. We're looking at helping organizations within South Africa and, and seeing how we can grow and do more business. And the way that we see that we can do that is by putting you in touch with those organizations that are shooting the lights out, those organizations that are blowing up their sales through their customer service, through innovation. What we've decided to do is to obviously you know, share these insights, these, these critical interviews of these business leaders from Africa and around the world. And, and we do that through the podcast, through our newsletter, and through our summits and awards. You know, for us, we're about introducing you to a trusted network of great companies in Africa. So guys, go to the platform, look it up. There's some great podcasts, there's some newsletters that you should be part of, but there's also some great events that you should either be looking to get involved in. And, and uh, if you're needing help being introduced to someone, hit me up. Thanks, guys. So um, welcome to Topco's Business Unusual podcast. Today, we're joined by um, Adi Kamovitz, who is the CEO and founder of the Virtual Actuary. So uh, I don't know, where, where are you at the moment, Adi? Are you in Cape Town? I am in the kite surfing capital of the world, the home of the Red Bull King of the Air, Bloberg, Cape Town. I hope that wasn't too much... Yeah, I heard they speak a different language over there. Pardon? <laughs> Don't understand. Yeah, it's totally yeah. different. Yeah, we, we just be kite surfers and we work three or four hours a day. Okay. So is that a Zoom outfit or is that for real? That's the real deal. The pants are there matching everything. Do you know what? I, every client is important. Every colleague is important. <laughs> I always dress like this. I saw that. Impressive. But sometimes it's with a tie. Does a tie help? The tie is at the bank when I'm trying to get a loan, then I pull out <laughs> the tie when I'm groveling. So how much time do you get to spend on the water with this kite surfing at the moment? Lots or not enough? Um, I used to kite like once or twice a week for about an hour or so, but mm. it's a way up between emails that are piling up and things that need to be done and actually going and being irresponsible. A few years ago, I kited too much and business went like this. Mm. <laughs> and then I begged God for another chance that if he gave me another chance, I wouldn't kite as much. So mm. he gave me another chance. So it's your little bit of fun addiction for that, that drives you. And do you, do you just kite surf there or do you go overseas and travel? Did you used to go travel a lot or? Mainly here. So yeah, I just huh? I actually moved here specifically for the kite surfing. I used to live in Sea Point. I now live across the bay, and uh, I'm here for the kiting. So I, I do have some gear overseas, 
um, at, no. at, at a friend's house, but um, I don't go, I don't travel that much for kayaking. So I know that you're one of the finest at the National Business Awards for Entrepreneur of the Year. So congratulations for that. Um, and well-deserving as well. It's, I think it's really cool to speak to you because I actually, you've been doing podcasts and a lot of different things. Um, maybe, I don't know if it was before lockdown or afterwards, but you, you also do a lot of talking. So you're a speaker, you do the circuit quite a lot. And even for me, when I was watching yours, it's quite inspiring. I think you've got like this no-nonsense, professional sort of gig going. And I think it's relevant because there's so many people who are taking a bit of a, a, a punt, but they, 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 they need a little bit of structure or a little direction to what they're doing. I mean, are you finding that it's, it's helping other people what you're doing? I try to be the example, yeah. mainly because I try and coach myself to be as professional as I can be. So if I'm lucky enough to get invited to speak at a conference on a particular topic, I, you know, address to the nines and I mean, it's serious business, you know, you've got something to say, they've invited you, you don't want to stuff around, you know, rock up with a t-shirt. So I take yeah. it quite seriously because I want to get booked at other conferences. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the conferences were last year. Yeah. And then this year, every year when I go into the year, I try and say, well, what can I do better this year to, to beat last year? So I would hope to also have conferences this year I did before lockdown. But then when lockdown happened, I said, okay, let's go into doing some more recordings online and, and putting that out. And, yeah. uh, and so I moved into the, the podcasts. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, I mean, for you, what did, what did you find the reason for the public speaking and the podcasting? Because it's not really central to your business, but is it your way of giving back? Is it your next sort of ambition? Is it something that you always just enjoy doing? I mean, it's a good question. I always wanted to to um, be involved in some sort of public speaking or, or something like that. But so what actually happened was because of our business, virtual actuary, yeah. you know, we have an actuary consulting business. Yeah. And so the best way to try and pick up work, try and tell the market about what makes you different, why you're sort of new age, why you're professional and reliable is to try to get your message out. And if you're lucky enough to, to be invited to industry conferences, what a wonderful way to talk about your business. Now, obviously, you don't want to go there and have a sales pitch because that's, um, that's rude. Yeah. So, you know, really what you're talking about is some of the business fundamentals that you mm -hmm. hold true. Disruption, mm -hmm. lean business practices, and that kind of stuff. So, so I, yeah. I got booked to speak on those topics. So it, you know, I think any CEO that um, really wants to lift their business up has to up their game and learn to present at conferences and, and really have things to talk about. Yeah. So, so that's kind of why I do it. I do it as like a side gig for the business, really. For sure. Do you enjoy it? Oh, I thrive on it. <laughs> I, I used to do it, but not enjoy it. I, it used to be like work for me and I used to get nervous, but sure. um, I, I don't know, after 20 years, you sort of get used to it. It's like, uh, it's, it becomes your day job, right? So, and, and I mean, for you, what, did you have any, like, if you're giving inspiration to others and insights, who is your sort of inspiration? Where, where did your mentors come? Because I'd imagine you're Jewish, right? 
Yeah. So you've got a whole community of, of possible mentors. Is there anyone that really stood out for you? Or? <laughs> so it's, it's a fluke that the person I look up to is also Jewish. It's not, I, I didn't do it like mm. that on purpose. Um, mm. But, you know, I guess the one person that I try to maybe, if I can, somehow emulate by a, a tenth of a percent is maybe Adrian Gore. Yeah. You know, if you're looking at, all, you know, the way that he presents, he's globalizing the business, he's out there, he's speaking to industries, industry leaders, this is our business, this is our philosophy. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the same thing. But I think ultimately I'm trying to almost uplift our whole business and, and all the people that work in it. So, mm -hmm. so, so some of the messaging is not really just, well, well, this is our business, this is what we do, but rather this is what yeah. we stand for, you know, because mm -hmm. ultimately inspiring from within so that mm -hmm. your, your team feel motivated, that you, they're part of something meaningful. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a good message that really resonates with new age thinking. So that's kind of, mm -hmm. you know, that's actually at our core. So then mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, I talk about that and I hope that it inspires them. I, I think it does. I believe it does. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of businesses that have either fallen aside or have had to pivot quite a bit in terms of going digital, but you did that before other people did. So, I mean, there's a lot of lessons learned. I mean, what did you, what did you see the difference in your business from some, from the sort of that recruitment and placement to now this digital business? I don't know. And, and in a way, it's almost like your business model is it is it digital it's hard to explain really in a way um because it's almost you you're talking about your business model not being a traditional business model either yeah and so the first thing is that you know we have a 10-year vision of where we want to take the business that's actually <clears throat> what we're aiming for that's why we call the business a virtual actuary Okay, so it's actuaries consulting from home globally in mm. virtual and augmented reality. So that's the first thing. Okay, mm. so so when it comes to digital, well, actually, you know, in order to get buy-in from clients, instead of just a pipe dream, what you really need is is bread and butter clients. So for the last two and a half years, eighty-five percent of our actuaries have been working inside the client's office. So as much as we're a digital business we are more so digital. Mm. So what we try to do is, is find a, a sort of a level up from normal consultants every time the client puts their hands up to go there, to sit with them, to come back, to go there, to sit with them, to come back. So our mm. progression towards actuaries consulting in virtual and augmented reality is, hold on mm. a second, Mr. Client, I know that there's some interest. Can You know, this mm. was two and a half years ago. Can we maybe try a Zoom chat? just to understand what you're looking for. Are you ready? Can you afford it? Can you afford us? Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, so, mm -hmm. so we more so digitize the consulting process. It just so mm -hmm. happens that everybody else now also is digitizing their business. So, so our thing was a progression and it just lined up quite well with where we were going. And then if I go back to the pivot, unfortunately from recruitment, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I'm absolutely heartbroken by the fact that people have to pivot at the moment. Heartbroken. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that a pivot doesn't take one weekend to work out, ah, oh, sit down with a, 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 you know, a tissue roll and write it out. Unfortunately, my mm -hmm. pivot from recruitment, having spent eight and a half years in recruitment, the pivot itself took two years. 
Yeah. That's a long time of proper mm. dissecting, 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 nonstop, nonstop, four different ideas to come to virtual actuary. So, you know, there's a lot going on there, but I think really for anybody right now is the best message is start today. You know, don't, don't be overwhelmed by what you're trying to achieve, but rather just sit down and try to progress in how you're going to move forward from here. But there's no point in holding on to the way you've, you've been doing things in the past mm. because then you're not really pivoting. You're not really improving or digitizing. That's my opinion. Yeah. So I, I, I'd agree with you because even our business is, pivoted quite a bit we've been we've done a couple of virtual events now and awards and all that sort of stuff but it's harder than just going digital because you have got to actually understand the technologies and then in, in a way you actually have to do things completely differently you've got to unlearn everything you know that made you successful and redo processes in a different way in a virtual way which is again i, th I think you know i was going to have about five heart attacks uh you know we're all trying to kill each other um it's 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 not as easy as possibly people make it out to be. You got to keep on trying and failing and try and fail. So, I mean, from- And just to, just to add to that, just to add to that, what you're really aiming for is understanding your client's method of receiving your business offering. You know, they have a certain way of receiving your business offering. So now that you can understand that you want to digitize that process, so it's a balance between introducing a new digital way for them to receive your content, but doing it in a way that you feel will maybe be easy for them to accept. So yeah. saying, okay, fair enough. You know, we'd like to introduce this, but we understand it's not an all or nothing. So, yeah. so it's really just understanding how your clients want to receive your business offering. And then, yeah. and then now obviously you don't have time because everyone's stuck at home. We had time. <laughs> so when, so when they weren't, when they weren't receptive, then okay, we'll come and see you. I still think it's, I think it's relevant what you're saying because the, the, the one sort of story I was told was that every, every person now is on Netflix. And so that's actually the standard that's been set. And that's the standard people expect from all technology or all companies now is that Netflix type of experience. And we're all being graded about the experience. Is it easy? Is it intuitive? Can they, can they do the things they need to do easily? But I mean, for your organization, my sense is that what you've done is really amazing and wonderful and, and quite brilliant, really. And, and I think to myself, do, how do you grow? Do you grow internationally? And I see that there is that growth internationally. Or do you grow into other service offerings? Because recruitment and professional services, there's room for that as well. I mean, where are you seeing opportunities? Or is it one so of those things of focus? Yeah, so sorry, what was the second half? Was it one of those oh, things? Or, or is it just focus? Focus on what you're doing okay, well yeah, and, 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 and double yeah, down on total. where you are, what you're good at now. Yeah, so it's total focus. So what happened was when I left recruitment in 2017, I stopped answering those recruitment calls and virtual actually opened up as a consultancy. So I went all in on my credit cards and my savings. So it took six months of building that business to be able to get to a point where we could go to market as a consultancy. So, so we, we, you know, it's totally different um, way of approaching the service offering. The one is you're moving people around and the other one is you sort of, you know, renting out professionals. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Okay. Would we move into CAs and engineers and no, because it's not our secret source. I, I don't understand those markets. I don't know what CAs do. 
It's very, very tricky, but I know what actuaries do. So when we're looking to globalize, which we are, um, we've opened a business in the US last year. The globalization is very, very tricky because you don't want to spread yourself too thin. I really um, kind of held back last year and I'm glad I did because now it would have been very, very difficult. You know, mm -hmm. there would have been too much going on. So in globalizing and scaling the business, you know, we focus, you know, consulting actuaries, we also have data scientists. So there's a huge crossover there. But then ultimately we do that well. So we have amazing banking actuaries, amazing insurance actuaries, um, amazing investment actuaries. And when the clients, the insurers, the fintechs, the insurtechs, the reinsurers, health techs need actuaries, we do that brilliantly. So how do we scale? So scaling globally, is a, it's a long conversation to have about being able to um, interact with the clients and their data. That's mm. quite a tricky one to get your head around. Um, but yeah, I mean, we focus. We're not trying to be a jack of all trades. We're just mm. trying to be a very efficient global actuarial and data science consultancy. And then also, mm. we'll, we'll go into it, but, but the business model itself that we adopt is in my opinion quite new age you know it's it's an organized collaborative okay it's a tricky concept to really get your head around but basically what it means is that our business doesn't operate as an employer employee environment for the actuaries that work in the business rather they are all partners in a consortium so much and like together much like an like auditing firm. Much like an auditing firm. Identical to an auditing firm. So what would happen in an auditing, it's identical. What would happen in an auditing firm is you would have your senior managers and directors and partners that, that deal with the portfolio of clients. Mm -hmm. Then you would have the juniors that work underneath them and between them, the client gets their work done. Yeah. So we, we handle it exactly the same is, you know, we would take two or three actuaries and interact with the client. As a team, we would put together an engagement letter mm -hmm. and then the client would sign under the virtual actuary umbrella. We are mm -hmm. the ones that have the terms of business and the contracts and so on, the admin systems, the invoicing, the internet payments and so on. Yeah. And then the actuaries do the work. The main difference between us and an auditing firm is that at the end of the month, when the client pays, instead of let's say the auditing firm taking most of the money or all the money and then just mm. paying salaries mm. and if you're lucky you're getting 20 percent 15 percent 30 percent of of what the client actually pays with us we've turned it upside down the, the actuaries the consortium takes most of the money those that did the work mm. and the company takes a much smaller portion 18 percent thereabouts so, so we work as, a, as an organized collaborative and, and then we can globalize. You know, we can work as teams of actuaries. Sometimes they only need one actuary. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there. We could dive quite deep into that. <laughs> and I mean, I, I think what's also interesting is that your cost structure, you can do that because you've learned, you've moved to that lean way of working. And what inspired that? I mean, what got that thinking going? Was that the testing thing that you talked about? You failed a couple of times and you sort of... Or was it reading something or was it engaging someone? What sort of inspired that? I think that I've just been around the block too many times where I've just seen businesses complaining constantly about their fixed expenses yeah. and salaries. 
okay? So, you know, my idea was if, okay, you can do work, you can do work, and you can do work. What do we need to get work? Not much. Do, you know, let's adopt that lean mindset. Do we need office space? No, we don't. You'll either work from home or inside the client's office. Well, that's a good one. Okay, we need lawyers' contracts. Do we need to spend 300,000 Rand on a brand new document that is being compiled? No, not really. Maybe we can hustle around and use our network to try and find a template that we can tweak and work with and then send it to a lawyer. 20 grand, mm. not bad. You know, so, so we kind of try our best to be as efficient and um, self-sufficient and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, resourceful as possible. Frugal. Frugal? frugal? I, mm. Okay. Frugal, of course. Yeah. Of course, I'm I very frugal. Frugal was like a, a rude word before, but it seems to be like the N word now, and especially that like they call it frugal innovation. That seems to be taking off quite a lot because it's around how do you innovate in a way that's not costing a lot of money because not all innovation works. I believe that the key here is what is your default? You see a lot of companies or a lot of professionals, their default is when we need to start a business, we need ah default office space, receptionist, uh, reception area, you know, accounts person, we need uh, marketing, let's spend, 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 oh, everyone must be on salaries, that's the default. And then the problem mm -hmm. is, that's what they do, oh, we need an investor to have the runway, oh, we need an investor, then they get two million rand or four, five million rand, someone takes 50% of the business, just so that everyone has a bit of a, run, a runway, that's your default. So, uh, and you know, so everything, it's about the default. For us, the default is, what do we actually need? Well, we don't need that much. What we need is a website. What we need is marketing material and, and competent professionals that are ready and committed to work. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. We've got that. Let's go speak to the clients. Let's mm -hmm. go try and pick up some work. Let's have a meeting with them. The clients are going to sign with you. The work is going to start. You're going to invoice mm -hmm. them. You didn't really spend any money. So our default is, can we do something ourselves? Mm -hmm before spending money. You know, we don't have to go the VC venture capital globalization route. Let's try and hold on as long as possible before scaling. Because generally you pick up money, it's all about the marketing, trying to get the revenue up, you know, and, 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 and you know, getting that valuation up so that you can do another round and another round, have 12 months, 24 months of runway. So that's not my default. My default is we've got a core business, we're building it slowly but surely. That's a 10 to 15 year goal of building one hell of a global consultancy. Okay, so let's do it slowly but surely without spending money. So now, now when things have, you know, sort of fallen off a cliff, well, we're not stuck with expenses. You know, we're not stuck with salaried employees. You know, you everyone that works in our business is a commission-earning contractor. So the onus mm -hmm. is on you to try and help us find work for you. So that's all about the default. Our default mm -hmm. is a little bit more sort of fighter-orientated. Mm -hmm. So it's quite cool, though, that, that what you've created, because you've created these relationships, not just with the customer, but with the service providers, your, your, your team, essentially. And I heard you talking earlier, like, what's your, you're not an actuary, or you're not an actuary, but you've, you run an actual business. And so people would like be trying to bend their head around that, like, oh, how can you do that? Like, how can you then, and I heard you saying earlier, it's about your relationships, the way that you talk to them. 
I yeah. mean, how is that different? So, so our, our um, secret sauce in our business is the fact that I spent 10 years getting to know everybody in the industry. Yeah. Okay. So what that means is that I, I know who the clients are and I know who the actuaries are. So we can scale. And, and, and that's really what it comes down to is, are you the playmaker? So I'll give you an example. Let's say you spent 15 years in the fishing industry. You know, you were, you know, you worked in a business, the business had warehouses, it had boats, it had refrigeration, it had trucks for distribution, it had its own labeling machine, it had everything. You ran the business. And now that business is no more because things have bottomed out you still know the fishermen. You still know someone who owns a boat that doesn't have fishermen. You still know somebody that has a refrigeration business that doesn't have any stock. You still know the distribution people, the people with the trucks, but then you also still know the clients that are buying the fish. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can be the playmaker to say, okay, dear Mr. Person buying the fish, if I can organize the fish for you, will you buy it at this price? Sure, great. Now you can get the fishermen to go fishing. Now you can get the, the, the refrigeration people. So you can be that playmaker. And that is really what the you you know, sort of the world that we're in at the moment is it's not the go to the bank, get a loan, open up the whole business yourself so that you can run everything in the business, but rather what industry do you know? Can you put provider and buyer together? And if that is the case, then you can form an organized collaborative, but it has to be organized. You know, people trust you, they'll buy from you. So people, you know, over the last 10 years in the actuary world, I got to know a lot of the actuaries. So when it came time to opening a consultancy, I said, okay, well, I, I believe I know who the clients are that are, utilizing actuarial services mm. great i believe i know actuaries that have the ability to do the work so let's bring them together under the virtual actuary banner you know the business will deal with all the admin and all the sort of marketing and and all the what some people think is the fun stuff it's not really the fun stuff and and we formed an organized collaborative so so that's the way that i operate is i'm the air traffic controller for mm. the business so we saw that, that, I mean, I saw exactly, your fish example, I saw that in the UK where, where all the distribution outlets were, were closed down, the shops were closed down and the fishermen went out and they boxed oh. the fish themselves and they sent it, they set up a website. But also in like places like Out Bay, all the restaurants, they also did a collaboration where they all brought like, a delivery app and they had a delivery person doing the deliveries and, and that sort Perfect. of stuff as well. And they cooked food in a certain location. So it's starting to happen, but informally amongst entrepreneurs. So, so being one of the most recognized entrepreneurs in South Africa, I mean, what, what are you seeing as a state of play at the moment? How are you seeing? Are you asking yourself or are you asking me? I'm asking you. I haven't won any awards or, you know. Okay. So, so I apologize. What is the, the state of play? For entrepreneurs, how are you seeing it? For entrepreneurs, are you seeing the opportunities ripe? Are you seeing some challenges? Are you seeing that we need to come together as a, an organized collaborative as entrepreneurs to deal with things? What are you seeing? 
I think there's uh, two or three things going on. I think that um, it's important to maybe stop glamorizing entrepreneurship because you've got a, a whole generation of 20-somethings that want to be entrepreneurs, whereas really what they should be doing is actually working in their 20s. That's the first thing. Okay, because the reality is, is entrepreneurship is myth. It's terrible. Like everyone thinks so amazing, but they don't know is when it's not so amazing. Okay, so that's the first thing. But, you know, I'm 42. Mm. So th the second thing is that I think that there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur, mainly because the tools available to you are like literally at your fingertips within reach. So if you're um, resourceful, it's a brilliant time to be an entrepreneur. And, um, and that's why you'll find that when you think about any major industry and you think about oh my God, disruption, you know, like you're not thinking, oh, the big player came in and just blew the market away. Why? Mm -hmm. Well, firstly, it's difficult for them to really action stuff quickly, but you almost expect the underdog to come in on the right flank and just absolutely zip past. And before you know what's going on, they've come in with a great idea, just makes a lot of sense. They've got all the tools that seems to be working and they just poof out of nowhere. They just come in and they're just dominating the market. Why? Well, it's because if you're a resourceful entrepreneur, you have the tools available to compete with the established firms. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. Okay. Resourceful mindset. Yeah, resourceful. So it's the ultimate mindset. Definitely. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's the ultimate mindset. Yeah, I think it's, it's ingrained in you. You know, uh, you know, I have a, uh, we bought a house. I have a, a tool shed, a, a tool area. I mean, mm. I bought the meanest looking drill two days ago <laughs> you've ever seen. You, you've never seen a drill like this in your life. You know, I also have these massive bolt cutters. I have every tool you can think of. Why? Because when I need to do something, I have the tools I can do it. So it's ingrained in you. You know, before lockdown, I was trying to work out how does this pool work? There's one thing in this world that will break a man. It's, it's trying to get your pool clean. Okay? Break you. I think it's made me cry a few times. Okay? But if your default is, I'll get a pool service to come in and do it. Okay, great. So you don't know how to do it yourself. You're not learning how to do it yourself. Then lockdown happened. Now you're stuffed. You know, you don't, now you don't know anything. You know, I kind of had a more or less idea and I was doing it myself. Still made me cry. <laughs> but it's, the resourcefulness is, is critical these days. But see, what happens is, so, 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 and, then on the, and then on the third thing, without forgetting on the, on, the, on the default of the entrepreneur, is that a lot of entrepreneurs really believe that they need like truckload of money to even get out the starting blocks they need an investor they need a, a venture capitalist something like that and it's it's the wrong default you don't really need it you should welcome it if if people would have proper interest and it's a fair deal so so yeah i think you know default is a good word and resourcefulness is very good you know you have to be able to market yourself you have to be able to come up with the content yourself you can't just be offloading responsibility to people because because then you're not going to get that much done. Yeah, that's what I think. So, I mean, I mean, you talk about marketing yourself, and I think you do a good job of that as well. I mean, just going on your website, it's um, you've got a lot of that social proof from other organizations and other people. How important do you think is that for entrepreneurs to 
to get that social proof, to get the this sort of recognition from the marketplace. You've got numerous magazines and you know influencers talking some great things about what you're doing. It's everything. And I'll tell you why I think it's everything. Because if you're um, a big insurance business or you're a big client overseas, a reinsurer or something, you know, normally you would go to the big firm. They had the clout. They had the credibility. You know, you knew you were getting quality. You knew what you were getting reliability and professionalism. Mm. So these days, when a client looks at you and your business and what you do, you might just be this new startup that they've never heard of, but at a glance, what is that credibility factor like? So what will happen is if you look at your LinkedIn profile or your website or any of the content or your YouTube channel, it's all about the credibility at that exact moment. Excuse me. So they'll have a look at you and I'll say, well, who are these guys? Who vouches for them? You know what? They seem pretty credible. They've got these awards. They look like a smart outfit. Let's have a chat with them. If you can just get to a point where you come across as an equal in the market to all the big players, mm -hmm. I mean, they've got, you know, millions and millions to get to that point and a 20 year runway. So if you can match that and, and truly match that, then the client will see you as an equal at the boardroom table. Great. That's actually all you're really hoping for. Yeah. And I mean, I've forgotten who it was. It was, it was one of the top investors. She, she said all entrepreneurs need three things. I mean, money, knowledge, and networks and she said basically you, you only need the money in that runway to get to launch your business but then she said well you won't, you won't even need that money if you've got the right context if you've got the right network if you're in if you've got one customer that pays for you to carry on you won't ever need that money and and i mean the knowledge side of things it's also a little bit in my view you know up for discussion because if i look at yourself you'd think that you'd need to be an actuary to run an actuarial solution. You don't. You, you can get experts to deliver the product as long as you've almost got that network to get into to the market really seems to be the, the most critical thing. Understand the market and get in there. Definitely. The information age. <clears throat> he, you know, the, the person that has the network, the person that is able to bring it all together, you know, that is the most important thing is you know if you look at some of these youtube influencers they've got the they've got the the viewership somehow you know and they and then the clients come to them you know they don't know anything about shampoo but if they think that this shampoo is amazing because it smells like fudge wouldn't that be nice then then they'll talk about it and and that's bringing people together so yeah i just think that um if you if you have the confidence to say this is what I believe in, you know, and, and, and you have the ability to speak to people and you're not, you don't feel like you're inconveniencing them by talking to them. It's about mm -hmm. that confidence of, you know, I have the network, I built up the network. This is what I'm aiming to do. Would you be in, would you like to be involved? Yeah. So I definitely think that he who has the network is, 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 is in a good position. And that's why getting a job is important. Right? So you've got that experience, get, you build that network at some of the cost. 
<laughs> Definitely, exactly. So I wouldn't have been able to run the business if I hadn't had 15 years of working for other people or 10 years for working for other people. And, and that's really the thing. So, you know, I think if you're a business professional, a lawyer or an accountant or an actuary or whatever, working at a particular business is you've built up a network and, um, you know, if you're able to tap into that network afterwards, then, then that is very, very important. So it's a mix between having the network and then also not being embarrassed to tap into that network. You know, mm -hmm. someone said to me once, you know, like what I like about you is you, you, you're not, not, you're not scared, but you don't care what people think about your approaches or, you know, you're, you're fearless. You know, you're not scared. You, you, know, you actually don't care by phoning somebody and saying, this is the situation. If you get a no, it's okay. And, and I was thinking about that. And the reason why most people care is because they are embarrassed and they are spoiled. Ego. So it, it's ego, but it's to add to that, it's the fear of people saying, oh, Tina phoned me. She was trying to grovel for some business. Ha, 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 ha. Now, if Tina spent 10 years really trying to fight through her career to get to a point where she could be anybody, then for Tina to make those phone calls would, would be a pleasure because she knows what it means to be hungry. She's not embarrassed by those phone calls. For her, she's proud to make those phone calls. So, so that level of embarrassment, if somebody has had it too easy, Mm. Then tapping into that network, they're scared because, oh, I don't want to bother you. I, 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 I'm, I'm embarrassed to actually phone you. Then they never tap into that network. So, you know, you really have to drop that ego. You really have to be willing to put yourself out. It's very, very scary. Very scary. But I, I also I, get scared I, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, we all do. But I like your thing about getting on the phone and, and, and like phoning someone. I mean, I think a lot of it's been done on email as well now, and you can do it on email, but it's the principle of the phone. It's a, it's a fact of like reaching out to someone and not knowing. It's like that just jumping off a cliff type of thing. You don't really know. You're putting yourself out there. But it's the most important thing, right? Reaching out to people for help, for ideas. And even if they say no, you're going to get some information from them. I mean, that's, the, I think, the critical thing is like there shouldn't be a phone call where you don't get something from it. Yes, and to add to that, it's really about getting out of your comfort zone. Making those phone calls is not comfortable. It's tricky. You know, putting out content online is, is not, it's uncomfortable. It's difficult. You know, doing a campaign to 2,000 people on WhatsApp before they stopped that, you know, two years ago. You know, you try to send that button to 2,000 people with a message. I mean, there's, you, you're like scared to do it, but it's uncomfortable. <laughs> and then you push, you push that button and then just... The WhatsApp goes up, but the it's scary. But the, but the but the result is awesome. Love the article. Awesome. Love the article. I see you guys are launching your business. Very nice. Very interesting. So you have to be willing to take the knock if you're going to get out of your comfort zone and 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 market your business. But now it can also go wrong. You know, about two years ago, I sent out a WhatsApp. Now, as I say, you know, I had the network and there were different ways of marketing, you know, getting your message out there. You, before they had, um, um, 
you know, you, you, they limited it. Okay? They limited it about a year and a half ago. And I sent out a message at like 7 o'clock at night to like 2,000 mm -hmm. actuaries. You know, we were in Financial Mail or Finweek or whatever it was. This is our business, you know. You know, mm -hmm. please use us. And I jammed up my WhatsApp. I jammed it. Got jammed. And I started mm -hmm. noticing that those little blue ticks weren't going through. And they were going through 8.30, 8, 9 o'clock, 9.30. I started realizing, oh, my God, it's 10.30 at night. And those blue ticks are only starting to roll out now. People are going to get a message at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm finished. I'm done. You know, I, I, I need to hide. I need to leave the country. So, <laughs> so you have to be willing to take that knock and, and accept it. And that's important. Yeah. So, I mean, just in closing, I mean, the, the, the actual business is, is highly respected and I mean, it, it has a legacy of working with insurance and the banking industry, but are you seeing a shift? Are you seeing it moving in a different direction? I mean, let's talk about Adrian Gore for a second because he's, he's flipped actual science in terms of now behavioral. He, he's changing it to how do we incentivize behavior so he's changing behaviors he's just measuring them he's actually he's using that information to change things for his own benefit to reduce his risk and that's healthcare are you seeing it in other areas education definitely so i think that actuaries are able to be problem solvers and so what happens is you know actuaries work in banking and then healthcare and investments and a lot of different things there's also an area called wider fields and enterprise risk management. So it's completely different to your traditional actuarial work. Mm. So, you know, I think if you had to sit down with any actuary and say, you know, this is my business, this is how I'm approaching it, this is what I'm thinking of doing, you know, how should I approach it? The actuarial mind will definitely say, okay, well, you know, this is your problem you know, the, this is what you're working with. This is the current situation. What are you trying to achieve? How about you approach it from this angle? So definitely, you know, I think it is changing. And uh, I think what you'll find is that actuaries are, you know, look at Rulof Boerter. I think it's Rulof. Mm. Is, uh, you know, became, you know, the one of the main guys. I think it's Sequoia Capital. Yeah. Venture Capital. So why should an actuary really hit the nail on the head when it comes to being a, you know, a big investment business? Because just the way that he sees things is different. So I think mm -hmm. that, you know, depending on the type of actuary and, you know, if they, if they know how to program and they know, uh, you know, about sort of machine learning and, and um, digitization and apps is, is, I believe that the actuaries are, are moving more into, I think that business is becoming more particular more intricate, you know, and, uh, you know, you can't just go out there. Oh, I, I have the ability to source a product. You know, back mm -hmm. in the day, you had a business on your hands. These days, it's not good enough that you sell something. Somebody wants to know that you sell something amazing and they'll buy it from you because it's a good price and not just that you're passing the buck. So I think business in general has become more clinical, more, more particular. And I think mm -hmm. actuaries have that ability to, to really take it down to quite a granular level and say, this is the model. This is how you should operate it. You know, this is where you're making most of your money. This is where you're losing most of your money. Ah, that's a good insight. I just want to thank you for your time today. It's been pretty awesome speaking to you. I think, um, and inspiring. And I think that um, the message is that it's, you can disrupt your own business model. 
Um, you don't have to be an expert in what you're selling to to sell those services. Um, and it's it's really great to to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much, Ali. <laughs> Thanks. I can't wait to watch it again because I have no idea what I said. <laughs> Often the way. Very Thank nice you. Lot. It's been a pleasure to be with you today.